What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Grind Podcast, where I talk about hunting, entrepreneurship, fitness, and the daily grind and what it takes to earn success. And today, we have a regular back on the show, Seth Swerzik. What's up, brother? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on another one. I appreciate it. Yeah, we got we got Seth here, yours truly, and then we got Pistol P, Peyton, oh. the man behind the, the edit. So, <laughs> yeah. um, And we're, we're going to talk about the upcoming... Uh, first off, we're going to talk about our adventure together, Seth, uh, the, the, the hunt in lonely Le- Nebraska in the whitetail <laughs> yeah. blind chasing rut yeah. bucks. That was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for having me out. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. Uh, yeah. Finding it in your schedule. November is obviously a busy time for everybody that is a hunter and, uh, you know, chasing whitetail during the rut in Nebraska is a pretty special time because anything can happen and there the deer movement is just remarkable yeah that, we, we found that out and it's like man we're gonna go hunt uh you know a, a smaller piece of property which turns out that's actually a big piece of property uh for when, when you consider whitetail properties and mm-hmm. uh, we're just yeah, not used sure. to that we're we're yeah. out west we're like dude we we have 10 miles of public that's it what, what if there's nothing here do we <laughs> where do we go and there it's like okay we have you know 600 thousand acres maybe and it's like are you sure this is enough and the, and the, oh yeah especially when the neighbors are going boom 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 <laughs> all around us yeah you know? yeah well that's yeah you know when uh light right wrong or otherwise when you know the rifle season falls when it does success rates are really high in nebraska and uh yeah you hear you hear a lot of gunfire a lot of gun volley but again there are just a ton of a ton of animals um and in that area where we were hunting that's really that unit is the kind of the premier mule deer unit for nebraska but that republican river runs right through there and obviously you've got the river bottom and you've got trees and and the cedars and all that and man it, it is white tail thick i mean they are everywhere and like you guys saw you sat for one morning and there was deer pouring out of the woodwork oh man it, it was incredible in fact Peyton and i were um on this edit yesterday and I, I turned to paint and I said, dude, can you believe that they let us hunt with a rifle <laughs> in the rut like that? I'm like, I can't believe yeah. there's, I can't believe there's enough deer to kind of tickle everyone's fancy year after year. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, that's a point of contention for a lot of us here in this state and uh, yeah, definitely a topic for a different podcast, but I'll tell you, um, you know, Nebraska, you can almost split basically in two halves and you've got the primary agriculture part of the state and then you have the primary cattle part of the state and you know you've got a huge expanse of the state you know maybe 50 percent or maybe even a little bit more where it's not super good for planting any crop you have these this huge sprawling roll of rolling sand hills and you're not going to plant anything there but it's perfect for grazing cattle and on the other half of the state you have uh super fertile soil that is great uh-huh. for growing crops and you have to keep the agricultural focused part of the state top of mind when you're thinking about Nebraska in deer numbers because deer can decimate a lot of crops in pretty short order and Nebraska is almost exclusively privately owned and so you know unfortunately the game of parks has to keep is the landowner happy they have to answer that question is the landowner happy with the amount of deer on their property they have to keep that top of mind and that's you know it's the unfortunate reality of the state we live in um but yeah, we turn out some great deer every year, yeah. and uh, man, along that that those our river system along that 
those rivers, man, I'll tell you what, the, the amount of deer and the quality of deer is, is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It really was. Yeah. yeah. Peyton, I mean, Peyton's a mule deer guy. He doesn't even mess around with elk, but now all he <laughs> thinks about is whitetail. It got me addicted going on that hunt. It was it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, he, he he just likes to sit back and drink his black rifle rich mocha and, and be able to shoot deer. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's that's that's a special experience in and of itself because that's not typical. Well, it depends on your definition of typical. That's not how I grew up hunting whitetail, and it's not how I currently hunt whitetail, but it is a certain strategy yeah. that works it was incredibly effective too. well. Oh yeah. And I sat that same stand that you killed your buck out of the last week of December ruts over the bucks are starting to bachelor up and they're just trying to hit food sources. Uh I saw well over 40 deer, different deer in about three and a half hours that I sat in that stand. Any mature bucks? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, A a slob of a buck that, that nobody saw, nobody knew existed during the November hunt. I mean, this thing, uh, I think if I had you send me a picture? a picture, I will. No, I think you sent me a it's picture a, of the young buck that I passed. This buck was uh, last week of December again, a six by five, really short tines. And if I've ever seen a 275 to 300 pound whitetail, that is him. I mean, this thing, he looks like a, a, a cow that you're starting to feed out. I mean, his neck <laughs> sagged. His neck was the same diameter of his shoulders. His belly just hung in the last week of December. I mean, it was two degrees uh, during this hunt and he made it through the rut and retained that size. I mean, he's wow. just a super old deer, just a slob of a body. Um, yeah, he was, uh, he was, uh, I was shocked when I saw him, like it was really, was big deer. couldn't get a shot. Well, I wasn't even hunting. I oh. was just sitting in the stand, uh, just sitting in the stand to watch deer movement because this was uh, in a muzzleloader season. So I know it's Uh-oh. tangential to our conversation, but uh, it was with muzzleloader and that stand you were sitting in, you could shoot, longest shot that it would have been about 650 yards which is crazy um, yeah in this huge huge field and uh so i saw him at 340 yards let's say so with a modern smokeless muzzleloader yeah i could have could have taken a shot but i was just observing seeing what deer movement was doing um and we had another hunter out there with a the muzzleloader and he was on the complete opposite side oh, of the I range. See. oh nice that's cool so um you know, we've kind of gotten to know each other over the last couple of years as far as getting this podcast started, and we had some really successful episodes together. And um, one of the purposes of this hunt, though, not only was to get get hunting and, uh, and <clears throat> meet each other in person, but also to kind of push that new outfitter ammunition. Yeah. So we're going to yeah, talk about got... th- that a little bit. So I'd, I'd rather have the whiz kid talk about some of these <laughs> things because <clears throat> I've had a lot of people say, oh, are you going to are you going to shoot that over the X going forward? So I, th- I think that, you know, kind of breaking down the 130 CX bullet in mm-hmm. terms of Western, Eastern type hunting styles, uh, talk about the BC, talk about what it does at long range. Um, yep. and, and then I can kind of touch on what bullet I'm going to shoot and then maybe kind of go into that, maybe go into the engineering behind or the why behind the design of the CX and, and the purpose thereof. Yeah, I think that's a good one because, um, yeah, if your listeners have have heard me on previous podcasts, certainly the first podcast, I was doing ballistic engineering for Hornady, and the CX development was one of the last big projects that I helped uh, help do the research and development on, and so I got to to help with the development of this project, and then now that it's a you know a new product. Now that I'm uh, uh, doing the communications for our marketing department, now I get to help market that product. So I've really got to see this really come 
full circle, you know, from a start to finish kind of standpoint, which is cool. That it's is a cool. fun project to be a part of. You're the, you were the developer and now you're the, the pusher of the product. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, like I said, is, is kind of a neat to see both aspects of it because not everybody gets to do that. Yeah, cool, cool. So talk, let's talk about the let's talk about the why behind it. Why did you guys? You already obviously have a very successful hunting bullet lineup in the ELDX. Uh, a lot of people yep. are using the M, which was more meant for target, but a lot of people still use for hunting. Uh, sure. Why did you think you needed another bullet? Sure. So the reason that we needed another bullet was we, at Hornady. I think some people see our product, our ammo, and how prevalent we've become in the industry, and they don't quite appreciate that we're still a small family-owned company. And we are small and family owned. And we're also in what I call, you could call it the Midwest, although, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas and Oklahoma is almost more of what I would call a prairie or kind of a transitionary area because uh, it's, it's so vast and, and open uh, of the Midwest. So in this, in this prairie region, hunting is still commonplace. It is still the norm. You know, you see some of these bigger urban centers where, yeah, hunting used to be the norm and now it's kind of the exception. Well, where we're from and where all of our employees are from, it's, it's just what we do. And because of that, when it comes to developing new products, we are always looking for a product that I will use. How can I make a product that I want to use? And so that was really kind of, you know, maybe sounds selfish, but really that's, that's what it was. And so uh, I'm a lead core bullet fan, an ELDX fan, uh, just like you. I've, I'm a proficient marksman. I shoot competitively. I shooting stuff far away has been my passion in life since I was like 13 or 14 years old. And so the ELDX really fits for my style of hunting. Well, a monolithic bullet that has no lead, that is, is solid material, has some terminal performance benefits that a lot of people like to, to, to see. And so I don't want to use that because typically a monolithic bullet uh, doesn't have the best drag characteristics, you know, doesn't have the best long range performance. Right. So when we looked at our current offering as a monolithic bullet, which, which was known as the GMX, it's like, you know, how can I make a bullet like the GMX that I want to use? Right. And so we, that's how we, we started the project was, you know, we've come out with cartridges like the 6.5 Creedmoor and the 6.5 PRC, the 300 PRC, you know, there's, six millimeter arc and there's going to be more of those you know cartridge designs like that uh likely coming down the line where we've got a fast for caliber twist rate we got the proper cartridge case to take advantage of these good powders and and we we got some design where we could really make a really long range capable bullet so we took the existing technology you had with the gmx and we looked at how we can make it better and we can get into what we did to make it better if you guys are interested in that. But, but it, ultimately that was the why was how can we make a bullet that fits with my style of hunting, which is, you know, if, if I have to shoot an animal at a range that's non-traditional, then I'm going to try to uh, not do that. But if that's what I get, I'm confident in taking it and the CX bullet and some of our newer CX bullet offerings really lends itself to that mentality. So the CX bullet ultimate is the ultimate uh, monolithic bullet then in, in your mind. And that was kind of, yeah, that yep. was kind it, it, of you know, how you created that. That, yeah, exactly. You know, we, monolithic bullets have been around for a while and the terminal performance benefits of a monolithic bullet have been really noted. It will almost always give you an exit hole. Uh, and, and typically this is kind of more anecdotal than anything, but typically you get a little more blood coming out of an exit hole. 
right. than you do in an entrance hole. So you almost always get an exit hole. And these things will penetrate like no other bullet on the market. You know, uh, comparison apples to apples, a monolithic bullet will out-penetrate uh, a similar shape and velocity and shot angle of a lead core bullet because it retains, in our case, you know, our material we use, it'll retain 95% of that bullet weight or more. Gotcha. Um, so you're looking at huge weight retention, almost always an exit hole and penetration to the tune of 24 to sometimes 36 inches worth yeah. of penetration. So if you're taking, you know, oblique shot angles or you need to break down some shoulder blades or something like that, monolithic bullets really work. The only catch 22 is the drag characteristics aren't that great. So that's really what we attacked uh, on our CX bullet was making the best drag characteristics we could mm -hmm. to make their downrange energy and velocity just a little bit higher. All right, guys, before we go any further here, I just want to talk about a brand new feature out from Basemount. Now, I'm going to keep beating a dead horse until I get 100% of my listeners to convert from Onyx over to Basemount. And Basemount is feature-rich. It's got more features than Onyx. It's got all the fundamentals, your offline maps, your marker-sharing waypoints, whatever you want to call them. Basemount calls them smart markers. And... Um, public and private land, ownership layers, topography, all the, all the things. But Basemap has this new feature called NavCam, and it's a game changer for the bow hunter. Okay? So you go into, go into your map, open up Basemap, hit remote markers, type in a yardage, and behold, NavCam. You'll get a crosshairs, you'll see an azimuth. And you actually have 10 times zoom on that. So your smartphone literally becomes an azimuth where you can set landmarks on your map screen so you go in you hit set and a waypoint drops into your map screen so that you're making a play or a stock on a buck and you need to pinpoint exactly where that buck is so that you can make the right approach um, you let that marker be your guide and then while you're stalking over there you use xdr which is double tap the home button which will light up green in your location you hit it a second time projects that xdr line You'll be able to stock animals like you've never done before. Navcam, basemap.com forward slash muleyfreak. You'll be able to save 20% off. I'm telling you, hit tools, remote markers, enter a yardage, and set a marker with a Navcam. It literally like a crosshair comes up, and you could set it through a spotter. You could be a long distance away, 2,000 yards. You could set exactly where that buck, bull, or bear is. I'm telling you, Navcam is incredible. So save yourself 20% basemap.com forward slash muley freak. Thanks guys. We appreciate the support. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick this bullet apart a little bit. Um, okay. So the first thing that I'm going to say or ask would be, does that, or will that bullet transfer being a monolithic bullet? Um, wh what's the material? So it's a copper zinc alloy. Okay. A lot copper of zinc alloy. use pure copper, but we use an alloy. Okay. So a copper zinc alloy. Will it transfer energy like a lead core bullet to the animal? It'll okay, so it'll out penetrate. Mm -hmm. It will leave an exit hole, which gives you a better blood trail than say an X. Um, but will it transfer the same amount of, of energy, in your opinion? Well, it'll definitely transfer energy because, you know, back to our terminal performance discussion, you know, a year ago, what transfers energy is the lion's share of it anyway, is when a bullet is expanding. If we can get that bullet to open up, that's where it's really going to start transferring energy. So it will absolutely. The catch-22 compared to an LDX is that it requires more velocity to make the bullet expand. 
So that's one of the limiting factors. And then two, it's expanding a little slower than an ELDX does. It's a little less violent. So although it is transferring energy really, really well, mm -hmm. it is not as dramatic of an energy transfer as something like a lead core bowl, yeah. like an ELDX. So yeah. is it transferring energy? Absolutely. Yes. Do you get as much of that shock and awe uh, uh, of a lead core bolt like an ELDX? Not typically. No, yeah. it's it's just a little bit slower. So there is some trade-off. But yeah. uh, generally, like I said, if you impact with enough velocity to make the bullet work, which is in our case, 2,000 feet per second is what we recommend as a minimum, okay. then absolutely it will, no questions asked, deliver. Okay. So um, my observant observance, just to parallel the film and my experience. Now, I've only killed one animal with the CX bullet. Um, we, let's, let's go to the, let's go, let's go back to the film and talk a little bit more about the hunt. Now I passed a, uh, sure. I passed a, and I'll get back to this bullet in my experience. I passed a young buck that, um, had some really long tines, good main beams, but he just looked young. And, mm -hmm. and that was my first thought where, you know, this is a Hornady, uh, quote unquote, uh, hunting piece. I wanted to do my best to, to manage, uh, to help Hornady manage mature deer. So I'm just like, you know what? I just right. don't, that's a stud, but I just don't think that's a mature buck. And I ultimately passed him. And then when he's kind of going away, I, I was like, man, maybe I should have taken that deer. And, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, but a, that's always tough. They look big going away. Yeah. But this, this film isn't out yet, but, but by the, by the time that the, this podcast releases, the film will be out on YouTube and we haven't named it yet. We might call it CRP bucks. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to call it. We debated calling it outfit. So we don't have a name for it yet, but, okay. um, when you, when you check that film out, definitely watch that. I tried to stop him later on because I was like, maybe I should shoot yeah. <laughs> him. But I sent this video to you a day or two ago, and I said, hey, please watch this before we podcast so that we can talk about this. But mm -hmm. you told me, you're like, man, you made the good decision passing that buck. He's young. He's going to be an up-and-coming stunner the next year or two. So that made me feel really good. Yeah. yeah. You can usually tell on the on, on a deer, but with these whitetails specifically, uh, when, when he looks like an athlete in his prime, when that buck looks like he is a – a young stud athlete, you let that buck walk because the bucks you want to kill are the ones that look like they used to be an athlete and now their belly's hanging a little bit <laughs> and their neck sagging and their face is gray. Uh, but yeah, you did definitely the right choice passing on that one. Cool. And then, you know, we, there was another buck that came in, he had a tight rack, a little heavier buck potentially. Yeah. I, I'm just like, you know, I don't think that's a buck that I should shoot either. And he was kind of way out there and I wanted to get a better look at it anyway. And then not too long after, you know, Peyton and I are just enjoying this redneck blind. Like that, <laughs> that thing is creamy. The only thing that would have been nicer is if we would have had a buddy heater in there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Because it, it was a cool Nebraska day, wasn't it, Peyton? When we had the windows open, it was. Yeah. yeah make a, a, get a microwave in there. You could get some breakfast sandwiches going on too. Maybe a toaster. <laughs> Eric would like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, you know, what's really funny about that hunt. I felt really guilty for the first little bit. Me being a back cat, backpack hunter, backcountry, <laughs> you know, DIY thing, I was like, man, I feel like I'm sinning. I feel like I've violated something. And it's just, right. I just wasn't used to it just because it was sure. kind of a different thing. The, but we man, rolled up with our packs still, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we hiked in with, hiked in the blind with our packs because we're so used to always living and dying by our packs. We obviously yep. didn't need those. But, yeah. um, it was a really neat experience just to see that type of different lifestyle. And guess what? It was fun as heck. Yo, that was yeah. so much dang fun watching bucks all morning. Um, it really is. You know, those stands, you can be, you can get away with murder out there, figuratively speaking, because one, the animals are pretty conditioned. You know, that is an operating, I'll call it a ranch. You could call it a farm, whatever. And that 
geographical area, you know, that, that guy that owns that property, he's got crops. He does, he does Milo, he does some corn and he's got cattle, you know? So when he's down checking cows, you know, checking fences, he's not doing anything on horseback at his age anymore. So they're used to some noise here and there, and they're not super skittish and we don't overhunt that property. So uh, the animals aren't hyper like scared to get out of there at yeah. the, you know, the first sign of something weird. So you can get up in those blinds. And like you mentioned, it's just super fun uh, to take kids up there. You're not hunting at all. You just watch the sun come up and then watch the animals pour out of the trees. And, you know, you're hunting in CRP that CRP's, you know, let's say three foot tall up to maybe six foot tall in some areas, you get deer that just appear. They just magic themselves out of the CRP out yeah. of nowhere that were just bedded down. And yeah, that's what we found. A, we're like, what? Yeah, Another it's super one's great to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with that. That was a, is a, it's a pretty neat little experience in that regard. So um, back to, back to kind of the film and, and what mm-hmm. we see next. You know, we saw a couple of coyotes come through. We went, Those things are smart because I couldn't get them to stop. I definitely mm-hmm. would have hammered a coyote. They were yep, – they, they get uh, – they get things tossed at them pretty often. Yeah, I can imagine. They were making their rounds across the field. Then all of a sudden, two bucks came chasing a hot doe, and both bucks were studs. Like, mm-hmm. one was a young up-and-comer that definitely would have been bigger than the one I shot, especially in a year. He's heavy. Oh, yeah. But, he, but you can tell this buck I ended up killing. He was broke, had long tines, pretty decent mass, but you could tell he was just a handsome old buck. Mm-hmm. and that he was a bruiser he was mature you know he took it he took it to this other buck we actually got some unbelievable footage of them locking up on camera and you saw that now that you've seen the edit mm-hmm. uh, gosh that was cool you can hear it i mean they're a couple hundred yards away or hundred yards away at that point you can you can hear them locking up and the power that they they possess is, is remarkable yeah absolutely and you know he in fact he came he comes to the blind and looks at us and kind of like a, a young roan stallion looks up and he had a ball of fur in his uh antler i don't know if you guys caught that that he'd yep. taken off the back end of that buck <laughs> oh yeah that's that's what it's all about and those are the type of deer you're after you know and and you know headgear's cool and and we all like big headgear but there's there's more to it and there's part of a story where you know genetically he might not ever be 160 inch deer he might never make boone and crockett ever because you know that's that's the hand he was dealt but that doesn't mean he's not dominant and he's not mature and he's not old and he's not respectable and there's so many things that go into a a trophy you know absolutely uh, air quotes and when you've got minutes of footage of the baddest buck in the area beating the heck out of another buck like that's that's cool yeah definitely and that that was kind of what went into my thought process in fact when peyton and i were setting up and i was making sure peyton was on the because we had plenty of time to set up i was making sure peyton was on the right buck he was actually thinking i was going to shoot the other buck Oh, okay. Be- because they were both nice, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, no, 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 not that one, the broke one. He's like, you want the broke one? And typically we don't like shooting broke animals, but where that guy put on a display, he was obviously mature. That yeah. buck had a story. And so, yeah, um, yeah the, we're four hours into the hunt, so this all went pretty fast. Yeah, to see and, that many bucks and that many deer in four hours. <laughs> Love it. So so let's talk about the shot, okay? So, yeah. <clears throat> and then I'll, t- I'll talk about how I – well, let's – well, maybe first let's say I sent you a picture real quick because I had cell service. I'm like, Seth, is this a shooter? And you're like, all day. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, Seth, Seth says he wouldn't pass this deer. So then It'd it was be hard to. Yeah. And, and I guess in context, uh, I have not had at that time any experience with that property. So when, when someone's like, hey, is this a shooter? Man, I don't 
I don't know what lives at that property yet. You know, I haven't had time. I don't had, I had no trail cameras out there. Uh, I'd never, it wasn't until the day before that I actually physically stepped foot on the property myself. I'm new to this, this role. And, uh, that's just one of the hands I was dealt. So I get out there and it's like, wow, this is beautiful. And it, it looks like it produces some really great quality deer, but I don't, I've never been here. So it's hard to say, you know, past that deer, not knowing that there are other deer of that caliber in the area. Right. Turns out, you know, in hindsight, you would have been fine passing them because there was definitely some other deer around, but I still don't regret telling you that I would personally shoot them. Cause I, uh, sitting where you were, I would shot them. Yeah. Yeah. Nice deer for sure. So, um, okay. So I decided I'm going to take this deer. So I pull up there, I'm like behind the shoulder. Let's see what this bullet does. So I shoot him heart shot humps up. In fact, there's actually another version of that edit. We let that shot go a little longer so you can see where that bullet hits on that deer better. So I'll have to send you this new version that we worked on cool. since I sent you that. But heart shot, humps up. I was surprised at how well, I mean, it was like 150 yard shot, so super close, yeah. at how well that buck took that bullet. Mm-hmm. And he was he was screwed from the beginning, oh, if, yeah. if you will. Like he was done. But I've he always done. Been, yeah. I've always been one to, if they're standing, Seth and I talked about this yesterday, I keep shooting until they're on the ground. Oh, yeah. And and that's the right thing to do for sure. You know, I think you'd have a hard time having anybody argue out of that, that if that animal's standing and you've already got a bullet in him, if he's standing, you put another bullet in him and that's any animal. And, uh, but you're right with that first shot placement. Are you kidding me? You could have, you could have shot a pebble you know, with that shot placement, it would have been effective, you know, right? because uh, right. it was about textbook as far as, well, you, we saw the damage when on, we cleaned them out. Like, yeah. Yeah. There was no doubt there. There was no doubt there, but I was surprised at how well he took that bullet. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've watched antelope die at the hand of the ELDX. I've watched mule die at the hand of the ELDX. And now there was adrenaline in that deer too. So, which makes me wonder you know, he was almost dead and he was still following that doe. Oh yeah. Which, they got one thing on their mind. Yeah, One thing. And it tells me how strong that will is to reproduce that he was oh, literally yeah. shot twice and he didn't stop and fall over until like his body gave out because his mind yeah. was still going. I think uh, if you haven't seen it firsthand to watch rutting mule deer and rutting whitetail, the whitetail in my experience, and I've, I've watched them both, the whitetail are, are, for lack of a better term, they're more bullies. They're, yeah. they're bullies about it. Like, they're not they are more aggressive. <laughs> they are more tenacious. They are more invasive. They are more annoying to the does. I mean, it is, <laughs> it's sometimes painful to watch, yeah. um, whereas the, the, the mule deer. You should try hanging out with Peyton I, on the weekend. It's about the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, his tenacity to live. Only to reproduce was, yeah, the only thing that stopped that was his body physically yeah. gave out. Yeah, so let me tell you what I was expecting. I was expecting, okay. like, the deer just to fold over. Mm-hmm. I'm like, 150 yards, monolithic bullet. Yes, it is a 130 grain, so there's not as much material going at the animal. But I was, I was like, expecting it to, for the animal just to wallop over. Sure. And so that what's led me to believe there's not the same amount of energy that transfers from the monolithic that like say an ELDX cup and core does. Sure. Yep. And, and you don't talk right in that, in that the energy transfer isn't necessarily as dramatic. Yeah. Um, Okay. The hydrostatic shock and the hydraulic shock that's traveling. So the reason an animal folds up on impact 
is because of the disruption of the central nervous system, the electrical electrical activity to the brain. So they're not dead when they do that. When when an animal folds up on contact, it's because they're unconscious, uh, and so there has to be proper disruption of the central nervous system. And when a bullet's expanding a little slower on a heart shot, which is a little bit further back and lower than you know a, a double lung or a, a shoulder shot, then that 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 wave of energy has to travel further to disrupt the central nervous system. So on a heart shot, what you're relying on to kill the animal is you are taking out the pump station that recycles and pushes out the oxygenated blood to the brain. Yeah. So just like that first conversation we had, you know, year or more ago, uh, you took out the pump station. He is going to die. You know, you, you, with that shot, if I remember right, it, hit the heart, you probably took off some of the plumbing off the top of the heart as yep. well. So he was dead from the word go, but the disruption of that central nervous system didn't occur. Had you put that shot high shoulder, you likely would have seen, you know, instant unconsciousness yep. and, and obviously he would have died soon. Yeah. So that transfer of energy is a, a little bit less dramatic. So you do that shot with an ELDX, there is absolutely a chance that he's going to, you know, be rendered unconscious because it's transferring energy faster uh and the temporary wound cavity is a little bit more dramatic you're yeah. disrupting more tissue yeah so, so i guess it's technically not a, a fair uh comparison um just because of the shot placement i think that ultimately you would have to test that in the shoulder region or double lung like you mentioned yep. in order to see if you get that you know unconscious hydrostatic shot that knocks him off his feet renders yep. him uh, what would you say unconscious Yep, they go unconscious, and obviously they're going to die before they regain consciousness. The exception to that is obviously if you shoot an elk. I've seen all, you know elk get taken off their feet with a high shoulder shot, and then regain consciousness and get up shortly thereafter. I mean, they obviously that's an entirely different animal. But on a right. deer, I've not really seen that happen before in my experience. Yeah, yeah, no, and and then also, I've shot. I shoot eight to fifteen animals a year with the ELDX and the sound was completely different. That's what Love I was it. most surprised with. I'm like, what the heck? It didn't, yeah. it didn't give that like, boom. Yeah, it didn't year. do that <laughs> smash sound. I've I've equated it to, because we've taken some animals, obviously with the CX and, and everything that I've heard, and I've actually filmed one uh, that I thought he hit a rock because it didn't sound, for lack of a better term, it didn't sound wet. You know, with a lead core bullet, yep. you get that thwack. Yep. This sounded like a dull thud, yep. but it was this, super audible. Yeah. But just yeah. like, man, that sounds sounds different than what I'm used to. That's an, that's an odd one. Yeah, that's, that's that's exactly what this was. And you'll hear it, the film, the bullet hit, just like a kind of a, I don't know, it was just kind of a lower lower thud versus a whack and just yep. hearing that body cavity. Well, that's what we're used to, too. I'm always, oh, yeah, you hit him with the LDX, and it's just yeah. always the, the high impact. And so I think we were both just surprised because it was our first time shooting the ammo or anything. Yeah, so sure. It was just a different experience. Yep. too and you say in the film why isn't he going down and then he tumbles over yeah then yeah because <laughs> yeah. I, I i'm used to a completely different experience and that's why i shoot him again and i'm like then then i actually actually the second shot and we don't show the second shot just because the buck moved and peyton couldn't swing the camera fast enough but the second shot i actually did shoot him shoulder because i'm like better anchor this thing yeah yeah exactly i'm like i'm gonna better anchor this thing the dude was kind of still chasing her so then i'm thinking Holy crap! That thing had that thing had one thing on his mind, and it was Rut City, and yeah. he was not. 
it 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 just like his will to rut superseded um, what was happening to him physically with those bullets that he stayed on his feet until there was nothing left. Yep. So that that's what was crazy to me. Yeah, it it is wild to see that that, that yeah uh, the powers of a woman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know, I think the powers of a whitetail. How tough are they? Oh yeah, they're yeah they're they're tough and and there's no doubt about it. They're uh, it's unforgiving. You know, Nebraska is not known as you know really a premier state to hunt or a destination state to hunt per se, uh, and so it doesn't get as much research done probably. But I mean, it is you have to be a tough animal to live out there. Obviously the whitetail on the river, a little more lush. There's some crop ground and stuff, but there are plenty of whitetails that live really remote where there's, there is no crops. And, uh, you know, the temperatures it gets, you know, we get plenty of snow every year. We get, you know, sub-zero temperatures every year. And, and, uh, yeah, these animals are incredibly tough. Yeah. Now the, the other application for this bullet, I mean, is probably good for Californians who can't shoot a copper bullet, right? It is. Yep. And that's kind of a corollary. You know, we, we aren't going to make a bullet specifically to cater to California, uh, but it, it does absolutely apply there. So, and there's some tremendous hunting opportunity in that state, and this is an absolute go-to bullet for sure. Yeah. And then also, you know, maybe more close range, people that want to get close to mid-range. Um, yeah. How, yeah. How far I would think, you shoot this bullet on a whitetail? Um, Good so, wind conditions. Again, we're looking for uh, 2,000 feet per second of impact speed. And what that's going to give you is caliber and a half diameter so at 2,000 feet per second that bullet will expand the tip of the bullet will expand to the caliber and then half the caliber in diameter if that makes sense oh okay so um so it's not so what is that yeah, six seven hundred yards that bullet good to six seven yeah so that's where i was going um is it'll expand a 264 diameter bullet will basically expand to four hundred thousandths of an inch you know almost a half an inch in diameter uh, at 2000 feet per second. So when you run your tables out, uh, looking for that 2000 feet per second of impact speed, um, based on your elevation, it's going to be somewhere between five to 700 yards. Again, depending on your, your elevation for me personally at 3,200 feet above sea level, maybe I don't think it was much higher than that. I was in South Dakota shooting six, five PRC with that literally the exact same ammo that you were shooting. Um, and I was able to take a nice white tail at 618 yards. Nice. Um, impact speed there was about 2150. Mm-hmm. And it folded high, him, didn't it? High shoulder shot anchored him. I mean, he yeah. had, he his chin hit the ground before the rest of his body it was this fantastic. And then uh, I had the opportunity to take an elk uh, this year in Colorado. We were about 9500 feet on that one, and I was shooting the 190 CX, big oh, 30 nice. cal, and uh, that elk was at 700 yards. And cool. uh, how that hit? First him? shot was good. Uh, was was a little bit further forward uh, than I wanted, about a t- uh, two tenths of a mil further forward than I wanted on the shoulder, but he was hit good. Uh, and then he turned around, and I sent another one and hit him right behind the shoulder, and that folded him up. Oh, nice. Okay. Yep. Uh, and that that impact speed on that one was. Uh, even closer to 2000, I was about a 2050 foot per second impact speed. Oh, okay. And so expansion, were you able to recover the bullet? I'm guessing or did it go all the holes, way through, all the way through on yeah. both of them on the elk. Yeah, yeah. it was, yeah, he was, he was dead on the first shot. Like you mentioned with this deer, but he's standing there and I'm going to send another one. Yep. And, yep. Uh, yeah, that bullet, I have no complaints on that bullet. And that's a range that that's a, that's a pretty far shot that with traditional monolithic bullet technology, you are not taking that shot or you shouldn't take that shot in my opinion, because right. it's impacting with 
very little speed to to open that bullet up yeah. with those older designs and the drag characteristics. Right, right. So um, l- let's talk about maybe some of the things that people might like um, that we haven't talked about. Uh, blood trail. Yeah. Uh, I see a lot of people, I have a lot of people ask me about ELDXs and, and M's for that matter and which ones I shoot and I'm just, well, depends and what I have and how each bullet's shooting and which one I like best and what critter I'm chasing. But, you know, traditionally I know when, and when that X hits an animal good, that animal's in trouble regardless, regardless if there's a lot of blood. So I'll always tell people that write in and ask me all these questions or, or email in, Hey, you know, I just don't see a lot of blood with the X. I'm like, that's because that thing bleeds internally. There's no exit hole. I said, if you turn that animal over nine times out of 10, you'll see a little, uh, a little burr of hair and you'll run your finger across that opposite side of the height of the animal. And you'll, you can almost nine times out of 10, cut that bullet out. Yep. I've done it. It, it, it's it's absolutely incredible. And, and the reason I like the X so much is because I know that bullet inside and out in terms of how it's going to perform when I hit an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the film 212. I didn't make a great oh, shot yeah. on that elk. But guess what? If that 212, it, it, it did work on that thing. And that, I mean, think about it. I'm hitting that elk last rib in front of the paunch, a little bit high. So not a great shot. Not, not one I'm super proud of. Um, but it took him off his feet at 550. Yeah, yeah, that, that, and that's that energy transfer uh, and the benefits of using a lead court bullet. You know, the, the CX definitely wouldn't have been as much uh, dramatic expansion there. But where the CX uh, would have, you know, the situation at that range that the CX would have really shined is if that elk was quartering towards you and you wanted to go through the point of the shoulder at that range that oh that cx would have been hitting with 22 or 2300 feet per second which is money to make that bullet work it would have popped through that shoulder like nobody's business and given you an exit hole yeah so absolutely so i went over there there's not a blood trail obviously i knew where he was Mm -hmm. i mean yeah we had to track him a little bit because he went downhill but you know there's no blood trail which doesn't bother me because i know that that i hit him with an x with a 212 Mm -hmm. He's in, I don't, I don't have to have a blood trail to know he's done, but yep. a lot of people yeah. need that comfort of following a, a good blood trail, man. I'm not seeing a lot of blood. This isn't bow hunting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the 12 does, or the, the X doesn't leave a blood trail, but I think some people might like these CX because they get a blood trail and they can, sure. There's oh well, I'm, I'm going to get that exit hole. So I'm going to see blood pouring out. So that just makes people feel better. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's something to be said about that. And obviously as a business, we're, we're in the scheme of making the best products that our customers want and different strokes for different folks and different styles require different bullets. And by, by offering something like this, we can help bridge the gap between the person that really wants the exit hole and the terminal performance of a monolithic bullet, but they also want some, some non-traditional range performance. Now we're not saying that the CX is great for shooting at all ranges like we do with the ELDX, um, but it does help extend that range just a little bit further because sometimes you don't get a little bit yeah. closer. And yeah. uh, that's really the difference. And going back to my the two animals I took with it this year, um, 
I killed them at the ranges I did because there was no getting closer. That was it. Yeah. And yep. uh, it, yeah, it worked out. And, and that's kind of how my long range hunting goes. It's like I kill them at the range I do because I can't get closer. If I can't get closer, am I going to get closer? Absolutely. But like that, that film 212, bulls getting out of town, I've got a deplorable shooting situation and the bulls getting ready to boogie. And I can't even get elevation off the off the front of my rifle in order to get that crosshair on the animal. And I'm like bending over sideways. I just yeah, it's it's shoot or don't. And I'm going to take that shot because I'm not I'm not going home without that animal. Yeah, I will say too is I think people have come to get used to that if they don't see the animal drop right away that it's like not a good shot that's what we see on youtube a lot oh we didn't drop right oh away. sure and so that's one yep. thing the x does so well is we're just so used to oh, it hits the animals on the ground and right. people like like watching it that way it's like that's not usually how it goes oh, sure. and so yep. maybe that's yeah, what's good always. about the the cx is it gives that blood trail and i don't i think it's yeah pick and choose whatever you like more yeah really. yep yeah. yeah you need to look all inclusively at where you're going and what you're doing yep. and another huge benefit to something like the CX is, uh, traveling for a hunt. You know, it's one thing to drive from Utah to Nebraska to come for a hunt, but if you were going from Nebraska to Alaska or Africa or something like that, there's way more invested in time and money and travel and, and, and everything that if you get a quartering two or quartering away shot, it, it, there's nothing going to get in that penetration vein better than a CX. Yeah, uh, it, that's you know, a good point. Come in, Thanks for sharing yeah, that. Yep, it's it's a it's a really a nice feature as a borderline insurance policy. You know, a lot of Alaska or excuse me, a lot of Africa on the plains, the pH says shoot. Well, that's when you shoot, and if that's a shot angle that is not traditional for you, but is hyper common over there, you know, and it's facing you or quartering towards you, and he says pull the trigger, you pull the trigger, and that you know monolithic bullet will really really shine in that environment. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Brown bear, uh, yeah. elon, hippopotamus, something, uh, you know, really big where you want to break down that shoulder, that's a good bullet to break down the shoulder. And that, if that's the type of shooter you are and hunter where you're always shooting shoulder, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a good option for you. So I had a lot of people ask me, Eric, are you switching to the CX bullet now? I thought you liked the X's. The answer is no, um, not because CX isn't a great bullet. I'm just an X guy. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If I probably if I if I'm fortunate enough to get the invite out there to hunt with uh, to Seth again, I'll take the CX bullet because I think that's a great bullet for that type of hunt. So and it's already sighted in with my six five PRC that Glacier Ti proof. I don't know. I I, I definitely wouldn't not shoot it. Um, yeah, it's like just it, yeah. It all my, comes back to yeah what you like and what, what, your what style you like is. And, and my style when we're in the backcountry and shooting long ranges and. You know, the X is just a, a a better bullet for how I hunt. Well, yep. like what Seth said, if you have those, depending on the shot, they're facing towards you. I just know we were doing a, another film on Aaron's brother-in-law, and that's, but it's, we're talking a, bit, a little bit about hunter safety. I just remember in hunter safety learning, if they're not broadside, you don't shoot. Right. And so maybe the technology since the hunter safety course has been developed, you know, bullets have changed a lot. So sure. if you can teach like, okay – the shot's not perfectly broadside, but a CX bullet doesn't matter with the with right. that impact. Yeah. You can take a different shot. It doesn't have to be a perfectly broadside right. shot, and then you're going to kill the animal even right. better. Well, there's other ways to get into the vitals besides yeah. just, you know, take bow hunting, for example, hard courting two, hard courting away, uh, even a Texas heart shot. 
if yeah. you're a good enough shooter and confident enough in practice, um, I, I got a buddy that killed a 400-inch bull at 62 yards with two shots through the pooper. <laughs> wow. Let me t- with a sever broadhead, which is a yeah. 1.5 titanium, which has that's, – that's a lot of cutting. Yeah, and there's he, some blood loss going yeah, on. Yeah, there's some blood loss going on. And that thing didn't go 20 yards, and we all know how tough elk are. And, but yeah. just think that bullet going through the pooper took out absolutely everything and lodged at the sternum. Yeah. So depending on your shot angle and shot placement, if you can get into the vitals in a different way, then, you know, you should do it. Now, yeah. not everyone can do that, though, and not everyone has that experience. Sure. And this film that we're editing, this other one that we're editing right now with Aaron's brother-in-law, it's his first ever deer, Seth. It's pretty It's pretty neat. Oh, He's cool. shooting a thirty yeah. on public land, and Aaron, Aaron just takes him to the ringer on this hike. Like, the, the kid's just the nicest kid in the world, and he's just dying. But he... He shoots the the buck. He's shooting an ELDX too. It was like, oh yeah, it wasn't. I don't think it was too far. The shot, two, I don't, I don't two forty maybe. And he made a, he made first shot, perfect shot, perfect shot. It he ran like I don't know, it, maybe fifty yards, with and tumbled down and was dead. And so yeah, yeah, uh, just the old thirty out six man. <laughs> Hey, it gets it done. It gets it done for sure. And I, one thing I wanted to add on to what Peyton said with, you know, shooting an animal only if they're broadside, uh, there's been a huge advancement in short order on the, I would say the accuracy of the average shooter. The The rifles have gotten more accurate. Bullets have gotten better. Ammunition's gotten worlds better. Optics have gotten better. So, you know, the, if you're standing broadside, yeah, you have a huge error budget right there. Uh, but, accuracy as a whole you know the ability to put the bullet exactly where you want it that has increased here in just the last you know decade yeah, uh, sure it's, it's increased incredibly with the accuracy of the bullets the accuracy of the rifles ammo it's it's yeah yeah it can be a little more selective a lot of sex appeal in that um that branding on i know this doesn't uh, equate to uh performance but there's a lot of sex appeal on the branding from the box to the nickel plated uh yeah. um casing and then also, I also wanted you to touch on, uh, I'm not sure, is it what the terminology is for the rings around the bullet there? The grooves, the candlers. The yeah. yeah. I was going to say candlers, but I didn't want to sound like a complete idiot. <laughs> yeah, no, candlers. And that's that's really what started everything in regard to lower drag. So when we were designing this, like, hey, how do I make this bullet something I want to use? So we know anytime you add an external feature to a bullet, like a candler, it increases the drag. A uh, shock wave is formed at the location of each feature. So we, t- we made some bullets with no cantilers. Mm-hmm. Well, on a monolithic bullet, those cantilers reduce the amount of bearing surface that's riding in your bore, and that lowers the pressure mm. because monolithic bullets don't give. When they get constricted, lead can squeeze you're not squeezing this, right? So there's a little bit higher pressure there. So we add those cantilers, it reduces the pressure. And it also gives uh, a place for material. As the bullet engraves in the rifling, the, the material that is moved out of the way as it engraves can deposit in there. And that also helps to lower pressure. So monolithic bullets really need those cantilever grooves, but they increase the drag. So we made some with no cantilever grooves. We shot them on the radar for drag. And then we slowly added one feature at a time. We did one cantilever. We did two candlers, and then we changed the depth, and then we changed the shape. And over the course of a bunch of months, what we ultimately did was find the balance of how can we 
decrease the drag enough to make a you know a sizable change but still retain the use of two cantilers because that double cantilever on most of these bullets helps lower the pressure and we wanted to you know keep that feature so we changed the shape the geometry and we also changed the depth uh, that we cut those and we were able to find a happy balance that lowered the drag depending on the bullet um, you know roughly 10 percent when compared to a legacy product called the gmx and then we shot all those on radar and as it turns out we were we reduced the drag enough that we started to deform the polymer tip which is what precipitated us developing the eldx line with the heat shield tip right uh, back in 2015 so then we added the heat shield tip and so that's that's really the ultimate in the in the changes that we made was change the groove geometry we added the heat shield tip uh, because we added the heat shield tip and that tip's not deforming we can now add these bullets to our ford off library oh, so you cool. can download the ford off ballistics app on your phone get the ford off kestrel uh and those bullets will now be available, so you get the best uh, trajectory solutions available. Gosh, how do I get a, ke- a, a Ford off Kestrel, Seth? You have to know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> oh man, that's super cool, man! It's it's sexy branding, it, it's it's sexy casing, and then yep. to add those cantilers with a purpose, and for you guys yeah. to put that A/B testing behind that, um, that's a pretty neat story. It is a neat story, and and, and then to compound it was we've got the Creedmoor, the PRCs, uh, the 6ARC, and a couple other cartridges we've, devel- we've developed. Well, those can use way, way better bullets. You know, the 300 PRC can use uh, a huge overall length of 3.7 inches, can use the 250-grain A-tip, you know. So what we did with the CX bullets that are available in 6 millimeter, 6.5, and 30 cal, we introduced one that really fits well with the cartridges we've designed for those long range guys. So we've got a 190 grain CX, which is very similar to our 212 grain ELDX profile. Mm-hmm. So you get the shape drag of that long ogive and that long boat tail, but you get the terminal performance uh, of a monolithic bullet. Likewise, our 130 grain that you were shooting in the 6.5, that's a very similar profile to our 147 ELD match. Again, super long ogive, long boat tail, great drag characteristics terminal performance of a monolithic bullet and then the 90 grainer and six millimeters very similar to our 103 nice. eldx shape um so those those three are going to be the pipe hitters uh for the people that hunt like you and i yeah awesome lineup there man good work yeah. on this good work on this new bullet and you know it's gonna it's gonna give people more options if they like the traditional monolithic yep. type, type of bullet where they well can- and that's that's a good point that you, you brought up here. We offer this stuff from 22 cal up to 375 with you know your normal stops in between 243 Winchester, 308, 30-06, etc. Um, and those traditional bullets that you probably aren't going to shoot at an extended range, well, they just work that much better at your traditional range. You know, right. if you were impacting with 2,700 feet per second at a 200-yard shot, well, now you're going to have about 10% more velocity than that, and speed makes bullets work and they really make monolithic bullets work so at even at a traditional range they just work that much better yeah absolutely you know and thanks thanks for shedding light on all that and and kind of putting all these things in perspective there i have two more questions um okay number one first um decision paralysis when there's actually go back five years there's ammo at the gun store (laughs) and then you have four different boxes of six five prc ammo um, yep. three from Hornady <laughs> match 
ELDX and Outfitter. The guy's like, well, this Outfitter stuff says Outfitter, so it's got to be a good hunting bullet. And then mm-hmm. you you read Precision Hunter for the regular guy. He's like, well, that sounds like it would be for hunting because it says Hunter. If you haven't listened to this podcast or don't know the tech and the engineering behind this, I could yeah. see some de- decision-making paralysis here, and it's it's good to shed light on this stuff and, and talk about it in depth like this so that people can make a better decision and know what, what they're buying on the shelf. Because think about it. Yeah. Ten years ago, this information was available. There wasn't podcasts. There wasn't industry experts like yourself and and uh, YouTube guys like us who are out there experimenting. Getting working. into the masses. Yeah, getting into the masses. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of cool to... Because I, I remember as a kid, I'm like, well, shoot, which one do I do? Yeah. You know? You yeah. just go to the store and pick up whatever's there. Yeah, like, that, I shot it before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know my grandpa, he had four different he had four different uh, types of bullets in his magazine. I know he did. He had <laughs> yeah. some from the year before and what he could get. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I remember my grandpa specifically doing this. In case I see an elk, I have 180 grain right here because <laughs> it was 30-06. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, man, those are the premium shells for the elk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We didn't times, think that those would shoot so different right we didn't think about that back then a bullet was a bullet sure. if it yeah. fit the caliber well, they yeah. were all the same <laughs> hopefully we can get enough good information out there to help clear up the waters of of making that choice of yeah what's better for you outfitter precision hunter or anything else you see on the shelf like you have to yeah you have to be able to make that decision and if you find yourself if any of the listeners find themselves in that situation and they're standing there in the store and they don't know what to buy or what's right for them we do have a team of, I don't know, maybe 10 or a dozen guys upstairs. I'm not sure how many's on that team anymore. And I've mentioned this before, but they all hunt, they all shoot, they all reload. Most shoot competitively. And if you've got a question about any Hornady product or a process, reloading, bullet selection, you got you want to talk external ballistics, you want to talk terminal performance, whatever, you can call those guys and they'll walk you through the, the highlights of each and kind of help you, you know, kind of sift through that. Yeah, definitely. Is it, what do you call that? group of division. That's our tech division, tech uh, division. technical okay. service. Yep. So call 800-338-3220, ask for tech, and, and those guys can take care of you. Absolutely. Well, man, I'm excited to release this film this week. Uh, appreciate you. Appreciate you coming in here and talking about the CX Bullet, talking a little bit about the hunt. And thanks for, Absolutely. Gut, thanks for gutting my deer. I'm not used to that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? You have to, uh, you have to practice that every once in a while. And, and I'm, I know you guys are like this and I'm happened to be the same way. That was the first animal that I'd gutted maybe in five years I, or something. Yeah, I don't do it ever either. It's yeah, it's there's no reason for it when you have to pack it out. But right. uh yeah, gotta keep that knife sharp. Yep, yep. <laughs> when it, when you when you jumped in there to do that, I was like, This is kinda nice. <laughs> Full service. That's that's what I'm all about. <laughs> <laughs> well that's Hornady service right there. All right, yeah. man. Well, we won't take up any more of your time. Thanks for listening, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. Email me at eric with a K at muleyfreak.com. Let us know what you like, what you didn't like. Please help us grow the podcast, share the show. Um, that's paying the feedback to us for, for doing these for you. So until next time, Seth. Thanks, guys.